Welcome, everyone, to the Super Bowl week of NHR Radio Podcast. Kyle is on the ground in East Rutherford, New Jersey, also known as New York. Um, first interview just took place not not too long ago. We had four Broncos on the, in the podium. Boots on the ground, baby. We had John Fox, head coach of the Denver Broncos, Peyton Manning, quarterback of the Denver Broncos, Wes Welker, wide receiver of... Denver Broncos. Good guess. <laughs> and, and a couple of... Two more, two. We had a Chan Bailey, Wesley Woodyard, and then somebody I didn't even get a chance to interview. They had, they had simultaneous press conferences. They couldn't be everywhere at once. Who's the missing team captain there? That's two David, two defense. David oh, Bruton. David Bruton. Yeah. He'd be a special teams captain. I didn't get to speak with David Bruton. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. It was on a ship. We were on a boat. <laughs> Which the to the air. Cornucopia. The Majesty Cornucopia. Was that the Hudson River? Is that what it's called? Yep, yep. In New York, yeah. So it's on the Hudson River. It's actually parked on the New Jersey Shore. Jersey uh, Shore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We were on Jersey Shore. We were. It was a little colder than the Jersey Shore I'm used to seeing depicted on MTV. A little, a little bit freezing colder. But yeah. uh, it was, it was nice. We got three New Jersey natives on the Broncos: uh, Robert Ayers, No Sean Marino, and Mike Adams. And Mike Adams yeah, <laughs> has sworn. Go for it. <laughs> following the game, uh, the AFC Championship game on, on the field, he swore that uh, he was just going to walk home after the game. He lives in Patterson, New Jersey, which I believe is about 11 miles from the Super Bowl site. It might be 12 miles from the Super Bowl site. But uh, that would be quite a sight to see. Just sip <laughs> Mike Adams and a bunch of Broncos fans trailing behind him going over to mom's right. house. <laughs> yeah, if they win, I think that's what he said. If they win the Super Bowl. He's just going to walk home. So, uh, yeah, that's what he wants to do. That's what he wants to do. It's, it's pretty funny. Uh, but, but man, the Broncos are here. The Broncos are here. It's really happening. It's Super Bowl week. Super Bowl 48 is here. The Seahawks are here, too, but that's way less exciting. The Broncos are here. <laughs> and Mile High Report is here. And Terrence Knighton is here. We've got a huge uh, promotion that we've partnered with Terrence Knighton and Banner Sports. And I'm not exactly partnered with Google, but Google is hooking us up with Google Glass got a great coordinated thing with him. We're going to have Terrence Knighton on the program tonight. We've got former Broncos great, stinky Mark Schlereth, stinking good green chili fame, also, you know, Super Bowl fame. Uh, <laughs> he's he's on the program and, you know, uh, Perhaps we were able most. to – Yeah, we were, we were able to get guys in Denver before the team left, before Terrence Knighton left. So we we being Mr. East from Mile High Report, not – Commonly on NHR radio, but uh, he's one of the staffers on my high report. He coordinated both of these interviews, and he was able to meet both of them face-to-face this week, captured some audio, and we are thrilled to share that with all of you. So we got, uh, I guess most importantly about Mark Schlereth is that he's uh, the father <laughs> of MHR radio podcast great Avery Schlereth, who, who I know. Oh, yes. That, that's how I know Mark Schlereth. That's, <laughs> I, I couldn't think of it right at the top of my head. I was like, how do I know that guy? Oh, yeah, he's Avery's dad. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Schlereth, that's what we used to call him. Uh, um, <laughs> we can call him Mark. So, two things. Breaking news, according to the Denver Post. Whoa. Breaking news. Oh, yeah, uh, this is breaking news. <laughs> Peyton Manning will be returning to the Denver Broncos in 2014, regardless of what happens in the in the Super Bowl, which wasn't quite breaking news. Well, wait, wait, what is today's date? I feel like I heard this three weeks ago from ESPN. <laughs> today's date is January 26th. You're listening to this on the 27th. <laughs> I swear I heard that like January 4th. That's so weird. <laughs> I don't know why it's breaking news. And, and then the Mike Adams thing, uh, you know, that came out as a – 
I don't remember if it was Kisler or Kliss. He said that after the game on the field. And he, not only did he say it, he said it to the NFL Network. Like, the, their cameras were there. I don't know why that's a big deal all of a sudden either. <laughs> I, I didn't know that, actually. I, this is the first I had heard of that, so that's interesting. Yeah. So, yeah, he, he was on the – if you watched, like, uh, Inside the NFL or any of those, they all had Mike Adams at the end saying, I'm going to walk over to the – yeah. So whatever. Mike Adams. Um, I hope so. <laughs> you want to hear my theory about why the Denver Post went all breaking news about it? I mean, they, they send everyone out to New Jersey to cover this press conference. And there was nothing really said that wasn't already said. It was just a bigger audience. So, you know, if you've ever followed Peyton Manning's press conference interviews, sometimes he'll say, you know, I believe I've already answered that question about five times. So we'll just, you know, go check one of your colleagues' notes or something. He'll say that to reporters when they ask a question he's already answered. Hmm. He's not doing that for the Super Bowl because there's 500 more people there. Hmm. And he's going to get the same question over and over and over again. He's going to get the same question over and over again all week. And he's going to you know, do the dignified thing and answer it because it's the Super Bowl. It's, it's bigger than him. So I think the Denver Post was like, oh, man, they, they said nothing that we haven't already heard. Except for this one thing that we didn't really hammer that hard. Let's spam everyone's inboxes with breaking news alerts and tweets and texts. Peyton Manning's returning for 2014. We know this. <laughs> we already got the secondhand report from ESPN. Great job by Jeff Lightwell and Adam Schefter, I believe. I believe they both uh, broke that. Um, we put it on my high report. Uh, Denver Post put it out today, and that was just a, a strange move in my opinion. Well, the, and the other top, not to just completely rag on the Denver Post, but the only person that we've had on the podcast this season from the Denver Post now works for Sports Illustrated. It's NSI, I think. Sports Illustrated. Yeah. Joan Nason's gone. <laughs> yeah. She, she so, was a Broncos beat writer for four months, if that. And she... Denver, Denver Post, we're coming for you. So the other thing, <laughs> the other, the other um, magical thing that's appearing on the Denver Broncos uh, homepage, if you were to sign in for your Sunday morning breaking Denver Broncos news, um, apparently Russell Wilson and Monte Ball went to the same college together. <laughs> is that breaking news? <laughs> that's not breaking news, but it is a top story. I don't. But that, oh, that's a top story. Oh, well, whatever. It's Super Bowl week. You gotta throw some fluff out there. It's... So, I'm gonna put you on the spot here, Kyle. Do give it. us, give the listeners something that they may not know. We've we covered a we covered a good one last week, and if you didn't listen last week, we had some a little bit of insight into Champ Bailey from his brother, Boss Bailey. Um, kind of indicating that this may be Champ's last game. It would, it, it would not necessarily indicating, but but saying more or less that you know it'd be good to write off in the sunset. Yeah, it was it was a hint toward it. It was you know I, I think this is his chance to write off in the sunset or however he said. I can't remember the exact phrase now, but he said something along the lines that made it sound like if Champ wins it, he might be done. Um, so you want something that nobody's heard yet? You want breaking news? We want actual Denver- breaking news. You want not Denver Post style breaking news. Right. You want not DenverBroncos.com style breaking news. <laughs> uh, I I don't know. I got nothing for you, man. This is well, the Terrence Knighton program with Mile High Report is pretty exciting. Uh, we're gonna have the first Google Hangout uh, should be happening Monday. It was supposed to happen Saturday. He had to cancel, which is totally understandable. He's preparing for a Super Bowl. His coach was like, "No, sorry, you can't go hang out with your friends." It, we, that's exactly what happened. Terrence Knighton, sorry, you're grounded. You can't hang out with your friends at my <laughs> And if you it's don't right. know what a hangout is, a Google Hangout is you're going to literally be speaking to Terrence Knighton. It's not like a set, submit your question on Twitter and we'll ask him on the air. Like, you know, you're in, you're in 
the room basically with with Terrence Knight. Like you have a moderating yeah, conversation. Yeah, we kind of do it both. I mean, you can ask questions leading up to the event too. You can load up that queue full of questions and have a hundred questions there for him to look at. So when he starts, he's already answering questions, and then you can just add more. But he's a he's gotten uh, just incredibly popular over the last couple of weeks, and, and rightfully so. He's just come on so so well. At the end, I remember listening to um, uh, 102.3 ESPN in Denver early on the season, and they, they, they would use Mike Kliss as their Broncos insider, and he was, I think, maybe hinting at the fact that, that Terrence Knight might be cut. Um, and I know that, that you covered this during train camp, that he just wasn't participating with the first teamers. He was kind of like in the eight-man rotation, which wasn't an indication of his skill or ability. It's just the fact that he's Broncos rotate seven guys, eight guys in the defensive line. He was one yeah, of them. That's, that's right. I, I've forgotten about that too. Yeah. There, there were some whispers of that, murmurs of that, which just seemed just completely incredulous at the time. I, I appreciate Mike Kliss. He's, you know, a friend and an acquaintance of mine. Uh, I guess you have to be one of the other. He's an acquaintance of mine and I respect him. I respect his work mostly, but uh, he's gotten a couple of things wrong in his day. And that, that was one of them. Do you remember, this just popped into my head. Do you remember last year, after uh, the Broncos sealed the AFC West, and Chris Harris was kind of like looking around after the game for like a hat or a T-shirt, <laughs> was like, no, AFC. He was like, he was like we don't get a T-shirt or anything. Like he was all excited that they won the AFC West. You know, it was like just a, a humble man, like kind of like wanted to celebrate the Broncos <laughs> AFC West. Why, why didn't he get a T-shirt? Did they not give out division T-shirts? I guess they don't give out division. Like it's not that big of a deal, apparently. It happens, <laughs> happens every year, but uh, not at the game. Maybe, maybe they get it a week later. They're like, like, oh, you won the division now. We'll manufacture them. They don't manufacture them the way they do the championship games and stuff. Right. Maybe. <laughs> so just the last one last time at the Patriots, I believe it was Spalding who had to end up having to donate $500,000 worth of uh, New England Patriots AFC championship shirts to, uh, I'm not sure what country they donated them to, but those are our um, now collector's items. <laughs> Probably more. You know, I think that $500,000 number is total load of bull. Yeah. I was well, thinking about that. It's $500,000 in profits that they knew they were never going to get because how much do those shirts cost to manufacture? They don't cost $35. They cost $4. Right. The fact that the NFL logo is on there means all of a sudden they get marked up ridiculously. Mm-hmm. So these are $4 T-shirts that they lost profits that they knew they were going to lose profits on. They knew they were going to print out double what they were actually going to sell. They didn't lose out $500,000 of crap. And then, and then, I mean ultimately the, the tax man – Man, I'm really cynical tonight. I need to get sleep. <laughs> ultimately, the tax man sees a $500,000 donation. Like that's that's really what it's about. Like let's, uh, let's not kid ourselves. All right, we got. <laughs> who are we leading off with? Which which? Uh, Terrence Knighton. He's Terrence. working with Mile High Report. Hopefully, he and I will be able to connect here in New York slash New Jersey over the next couple of days. Uh, we're gonna get him to hang out in Mile High Report. We have some of his Google Glass embeds and pictures, and we are we are seeing the Super Bowl. Media week through the eyes of someone who's there, a player who's there. This is like kind of access you dream about. This is pretty unique, and we're excited. And here's here's Terrence. Pot roast. Yeah. Terrence, do you like to go by pot roast, or is that something? Else? Yeah, it's cool. I mean, when I got to Denver, I tried to get rid of it and um, get something new, but um, it's cool. I mean, the fans love it. Um, I got friends and family who call me pot roast and roast and. So I, just, I can't get rid of it. So tell me about technology. We're told that 
this is this is right up your alley here. Yeah, I got a lot of like gadgets and things in my apartment. Uh, I just bought the 4K TV. I'm playing with that, and you know, anytime something new electronically comes out, I try to get in and play around with it. So this is this right up my alley. Yeah. So what do you think about Google Glass? I mean, this has to be kind of the ultimate, isn't that? I think these are awesome. Um, I mean, I don't, you know, when people like everybody starts to have them, it's gonna be crazy. But um, yeah, I'm glad I'm, I'll be the first one on the team with them because you know everybody will be jealous and you know trying to talk to me all day now. So it's cool. Yeah. So what are you gonna tell us? What you're gonna do for fans? I mean, this is kind of. Oh, I'm just I'm gonna interact with my teammates. Um, you know, the road to practice. You know, things like that. Media day. Know, which will be crazy, which fans will you know be able to see and experience and things like that. So, uh, just everything that's new to me, you know, I'll let them experience that. Yeah. So, can you do us a favor? Are you, you going to go up and interview Peyton then too? With the yeah, I am actually. Yeah. Well, I'll go up to him and tell him to say hello to the fans, and you know, but he he's not going to talk to me much because you know he'll be focused, and you know we tend to leave him alone. But, you know, I'll, I'll I'll give him what I can. Um, let me let me ask you something because obviously you just got these now. But if, if fans had the Google Glass experience under the helmet when you were playing the Patriots, certain third down, what would they have seen and heard then? Um, well, besides the language that goes on in the field, <laughs> you know, it, it, it would be exciting. They could see how fast the game is, how quick we have to react, um, just how much you know our eyes move, how we move, and you know, just how you have to see a lot that's going on and you know the impact will be different you know it'll be a lot better than other cameras yeah um they probably they would, would have heard a little uh, whine out of tom brady as he went down yeah a few quarterbacks this year you know a lot of times you hit these guys you know they do they make you know feminine sounds but uh you know i'll, I'll keep their names out of it um so uh tell me about this opportunity though i mean this is Super Bowl, you get a chance to experience it, and this has got to be just another kind of fun benefit, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, just just experiencing the Super Bowl period and allowing you know family and friends and the fans to you know experience it with you, and um, you know, you almost want fans to feel like they're there. And I think you know, this is close as you can get without them actually being there. Uh, provided you figure all this stuff out, right? Yeah, I'll figure it out. I, I guarantee you, I'll have it down packed by the morning. And this isn't gonna, but it's not gonna like get in the way of your game planning or anything. No, you got no, a lot no. of other stuff to worry about. Well, right? see, this is why they give us a week, you know, before <laughs> the Super Bowl, and uh, you know, to get things like this situated. So, um, no, they're not, they're not too worried about me staying up late tonight. All right, that works well. Cool. Very cool. All right. Thank you, uh, Mr. Knighton, to you on Twitter, also known as Terrence Knighton, and. Uh, I guess also more as pot roast. more formally as as uh, more formally as pot roast. <laughs> he tweeted out on uh, last just last week that he is had pot roast for the second time at uh, Appalachian Grill in Denver. So shout out to Appalachian Grill. Go ahead and sponsor you know, the podcast. I'll, I'll give a little bit of a, a minor inside look to our listeners as to how this engagement with uh, Terrence Knight and pot roast came to be. Um, Banner Sports approached Google. Banner Sports approached us. Um, it was kind of their idea that their representation for pot roast. Um, and it's their idea, and it's it's really good. They they want to represent their client and get them, you know, high tech and in the forefront of social media. It's great. It's gonna, it's going to be great, I think. But uh, 
we, we came to learn that Pot Roast wasn't thrilled with his own nickname. And it was just through conversations. And actually, I was kind of leaving it a little bit. I was, I was kind of convincing them, like, listen, this is, this is Pot Roast's brand now. This is his brand. This is how people know this man now. I had a conversation with my mom about going to the Super Bowl, about letting this exclusive with a Broncos player. And she goes, oh, you got an exclusive with a Broncos player? Who? Terrence Knighton. She's like, who? Pot Roast. Oh, mm-hmm. pot roast! I love pot roast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is this is his brand. This is who he is. His name is on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Um, Peter King likes pot roast. Uh, we're thrilled. We're thrilled that he, uh, he's seeing this success, and uh, he deserves it from everything we we've come to learn about him. From pot roast to uh, another nickname that probably wasn't incredibly uh, <laughs> <laughs> enjoyed at, when it first came to stick was uh, is Mark Schler's nickname, which is Stink. And he came to embrace it, and Stinky. now, now stinking green good or stinking what's it, stinking green chili is one of probably the best green chilies in in Colorado, and I think it's going stinking, worldwide. Yeah, stinking good green chili. I stinking think it's stinking good. good green chili. Yeah, which which you've heard mentioned multiple times on this podcast. Um, it's, Every it's, time I go to Denver, I mean to get some, and I never do. I, mean, <laughs> I go to Colorado like twice a year, and I never bring any home with me. And I always mean to. When you come for for training camp next year, I'm gonna have some stink. I'm gonna have I'm gonna load you up with uh, singing your good chili. We'll have breakfast and lunch and dinner. We'll, we'll eat it on ice cream. It's good on everything. That sounds stinking badass. <laughs> and uh, we're gonna get, we'll hook you up with the uh, Terrell Davis barbecue sauce and the uh, Ed McCaffrey mustard. <laughs> that's right. That's that's a new kind of three amigos. That's just weird. And we'll eat Taco Bell for the three amigos. <laughs> All right, for the Rockies. Hey, for the Rockies for home runs. <laughs> and course, yeah, course like for the. All right. Um, Mark Schlereth had a ton of good things to say. He's excited that the Broncos are back in the Super Bowl. I talked to East about this interview. Um, he is as much a Broncos fan as any of us, and he's thrilled that they're on their way back to the Super Bowl. He feels a part of it. He still feels very close to the team. Of course, he you know is a media personality now for ESPN and he does a great job there. So he's still close to the team and he still has his sources, I'm sure. Uh, but this is a point of pride for him. You, if you follow Mark Schlereth on Twitter, which is at Mark Schlereth, I think it's not at Avery's dad, is it? Uh, nope. Just confirmed. It's at breaking news. It's at Mark Schlereth. Oh, it is at Mark Schlereth. Okay. It's not <laughs> at Avery's dad yet. That's, that's, that's just how I know him. So I also have to like think about that. But, uh, yeah, if you if you follow him, he defends the Broncos all the time. It's great. He's a Raider hater still. You know, it's it's good stuff. He he has no memory of any former teams. He's a Bronco. Here's Mr. Schler. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls at Dick's Sporting Goods, I have some breaking news to start this off out of the Denver Broncos today. They're going to the Super Bowl. Yeah. How about that? Uh, with me today uh, is uh, Rock Hoover. I yes, mean, Detective uh, Rock Hoover. Mark, uh, I mean Mark Schlereth. Uh, and thanks, Mark, for being here on your birthday. Thank you. I happy, happy birthday. Thank, Thank you very Schlereth's much. Thank you very much. You know, the Denver Broncos' first Super Bowl win, Super Bowl 32. I got an interesting story to tell you. I herniated some discs in my back in the offseason. So I was sitting in the training room with the Broncos, and I was doing back rehab. And Steve Antonopoulos, still the head trainer of the Denver Broncos, is there. You know, he's working my rehab. And, and um, it was just during about the, the schedule release of the, of the season. So we were kind of doing rehab and looking at the schedule release and doing all those things. And I went through the whole season, and I said, oh, my gosh, Greek. I go, we're going to win the Super Bowl. 
And he's like, how so? And I go, well, it's in the cards. It's fate. And he goes, why? And I said, because Super Bowl 32 will be played on January 25th. And that happens to be my 32nd birthday. So all we've got to do is grind through this season, get to the Super Bowl. We're going to win this dang thing. And, of course, that's exactly what happened. We won Super Bowl 32 on my 32nd birthday. So well, that was probably the greatest birthday of my life right there. No kidding. Went on to win uh, one after in Super Bowl 33. Already had one. Uh, it is Super Bowl week for the Broncos. Hard to believe you and I were just talking about this. It's been 15 years since the Broncos have been to the big game. I know it is. It's uh, it, for, for me, I don't know about the fans out there, but for me it feels like yesterday. And um, there's just so many warm and fuzzy memories about playing in those games and being a part of this franchise and of course now I mean you know I'm, I'm like the regular fan I, I refer to us as we I feel like I'm going to the Super Bowl um, so I'm just I'm excited I'll be out there all week um, and you know I'm supposed to be this non-partial journalist but I can't hold my fandom back I am completely partial and um, and I all see how fans hate me with the white hot intensity of a thousand suns and I don't care because uh, I'm a Bronco and once a Bronco always a Bronco no doubt so you you've been to three Super Bowls three you know in those Super Bowls Super I don't, I don't go if I'm going to lose right exactly. I just go to the ones I'm going to win <laughs> so Super Bowl week has to be one of the most unique experiences for a player what's the best thing and worst thing for a player in Super Bowl week, the week leading up to the game? Well, I, I think the best thing about it is that you can sequester yourself as a player and as a team, and you can really come together and do this thing together. You know, you have to treat it like it's, it, it is what it is. It's a business trip. And uh, I'm sure I've never, you know, like I said, I've been blessed. I've never lost one, but um, I'm sure that that stinks. To lose one, I'm sure, is awful. And I always tease the guys that I work with. Teddy Bruschi, who played for the New England Patriots, went to five of them, won three, lost two. I always go, ooh, what's it like to lose? Do tell. You know, right. Do tell. So um, for me, I, you know, it is such a, it's a, such a time to come together as a group and as a and, and as I mentioned, you can kind of sequester yourself and you can be there together. So that, that part is, is an absolute blast. Um, obviously, there are a lot of things that uh, are required of you during Super Bowl week that aren't required of you uh, as a regular player. All the interviews you have to do, the media days that you have to do. And sometimes that can become a little bit overwhelming. But like I said, you can always get away. The other thing that's probably the toughest part of Super Bowl week is all the all, all the people that uh, were part of your career are we there oh, growing yeah, up yeah the, the receivers just right there so it's it's yeah well all the people that have been part of your career growing up and the time you spent with those people and you can't accommodate all those people you, you only get a certain amount of tickets um, that you have to purchase you know people think we get them for free as players you get two comps and then you get the chance to buy 18. And so you, you get the chance to have 20 guests. Um, so it's a, it's a difficult thing. And, and you know, I was, I was always very fortunate to have a wife um, that I could put all that kind of the burden on and say, honey, you got to be the bad guy. You got to be the traffic cop. And, you know, I'm here to, to we're going to have a great time once this game is over. But up until then, you've got to be the heavy for me so I don't have to deal with 
requests and all those things. And so she was awesome to be able to do that so that I could focus on doing my job and, and helping you know my teams win a championship. What kind of distractions do guys run into Super Bowl week, uh, day of? I mean, you, you go to the practice facility, you have your own designated place where you're, you're running uh, trainings, practices, but uh, there's got, I mean, the media blitz in itself is, is massive. It's got to be a little distracting. Take your mind off it a little bit. Well, I think it, it can be. It is what you, what you make it and what you let it become. Um, like I said, there's always an opportunity to get away. There's always a sequestered area where nobody's allowed but guys on your team. And you have to take advantage as a member of the team of those opportunities. The other thing is you certainly can find trouble. If you want to find trouble, um, there are certainly many opportunities for you to go out and, and not be uh, a professional. And as I always said, and I said this to my son just the other day, uh, just because you play a professional sport does not make you a professional. You got to be a professional. You've got to understand that. And there are certain, you know, there are certain guys. The temptations are strong. You know, it's it's interesting. I, I had I had the the fortune, good fortune of playing in three of these things. I had never left the hotel after the after we had our offensive line dinner, which was like on a Tuesday. I never left the hotel. I never went out. I never saw the city. I never did anything um, because I was there to to play a football game. The interesting thing was the first one I covered for ESPN was 2001, the Rams and the New England Patriots, and it was down in St. Louis. And it's the first time I ever left the hotel, like on a Thursday and Friday night. And you can imagine what Thursday and Friday and Saturday night are like in New Orleans, it's the party. Super Bowl week. And I was blown away. I was like, I had no idea this was such a big deal because I had never, I had never gone out. So you can certainly get yourself into trouble um, if you're if you're not focused and if you're not a professional. And so that part is always scary because you never, you know, you, there's always a few guys that you have to police on your football team. Um, but like I said, I had the good fortune of being involved with a lot of real pros who taught me the game, taught me how to be a professional. And, um, and our teams were very singularly focused. We really didn't have to worry about anything that way. Uh, Mark Schler, a three-time Super Bowl champion, is here with us today at uh, Dick's Sporting Goods here in Belmar. We are going to get to a Q&A uh, in, uh, in a little bit here, talking about Super Bowl week, and specifically your Denver Broncos, who are going to Super Bowl 48, New York, New, York, New Jersey, at MetLife Stadium, and East Rutherford. Um, Peyton Manning, number 18, we're talking about keeping guys sort of corralled. The team has the respect of number 18, right? And does he have a good grip on these guys that they're not going to go and, and fall into those traps that you're talking about? Oh, I, I believe so. I think, I, I think this is very much like what it was like for us back in 1997 with John Elway leading the way at the quarterback of the Denver Broncos. We were all really aware of his past Super Bowl woes and the Broncos' past failures in Super Bowls. And, you know, we, we had a good grasp of that. And he was so important to us as a football team. And his legacy was truly so important to us as a football team that I think we had the onus of understanding that and wanting to make sure that his Super Bowl legacy wasn't 0-3 and get blown away in three games. And so we really took that upon ourselves as his teammates to 
to really sacrifice for John because we knew how important that was to his legacy. And I look at this football team very much the same. You know, if you look back at 1996, we were a 13-3 and football team. We were the number one seed throughout the playoffs. And Jacksonville came in here in the divisional round and beat us. And it was devastating as a franchise. And it was truly the seminal event that led us to back-to-back world championships. Fast forward to last year. The Broncos are 13-3. and They're the number one seed overall. And Baltimore comes in here and beats them. And there's not a day that goes by that you don't think what could have been. And it doesn't hurt you, I mean, all the way down to your core. And so I think there's a lot of parallels. And now we're here, and those guys understand, and they hear, and they have Twitter accounts, and they see the legacy of Peyton Manning. And when people talk about Peyton Manning being the best, quote-unquote, regular season quarterback of all time, which is just a, nothing more than a backhanded bash on, won a Super Bowl, right, on who Peyton is as a player. So I think those guys are keenly aware and, and would love to send him out, not that he's going to retire, but love to send him out of this game with another world championship so people can stop that talk because I don't care how good a quarterback is until you have a complete football team when it comes to playoff football and championship football, you're not going to win Super Bowls. And, you know, I looked at the teams in Indianapolis and I mean, all you have to look at is they went to, I think they went, won 12 or more games for like nine years in a row or something ridiculous like that. They went to the playoffs every, just about every single year with Peyton Manning. And the year he gets hurt and can't play, that same team minus the quarterback is 2-14. and 14. I was public. Yeah, I was public enemy number one in Indianapolis because I always used to say, I get on Indianapolis radio, and they would ask me what I thought of their team. I thought, well, I mean, without Peyton Manning, I think you're a 4-12 and team. And they were like, what are you talking about? And I go, I think you're very average, but you have a great quarterback. And people would be so angry with me. And then, of course, they go 2-14. and I say, I drastically overestimated the talent of your football team. You actually could only win two games instead of four that I predicted. But, um, but complete teams. Until John Elway had Terrell Davis and a complete team and a defense that could stop somebody, he wasn't able to win a Super Bowl. And then, of course, he won back-to-back Super Bowls once those teams became complete. And I look at Peyton Manning kind of in the same in the same way that I look at those Broncos teams with John Elway. You know, we all remember the quote, this one's for John. Right. Remember that? Is this Super Bowl for Champ Bailey? It's a great, you know, I think Champ Bailey gets overshadowed to some degree because of, of yeah, because, he, well, he's been hurt this season, but because of, of what Peyton Manning has brought to this football team. But Champ is one of those guys who has been the consummate professional in his years in Washington. And, of course, as, as the trade went down with Clinton Porter's for Champ Bailey, he's been nothing but great here as a Pro Bowl type of player year in and year out. And, um, yeah, I think I think guys understand that legacy as well as the legacy of Peyton Manning. Fifteen years in this league, been an all-pro corner for forever. Um, and, and he, like I said, the consummate professional. He's just great at what he does. And he's, you know, he loves the game. And, and I think certainly the guys, especially on the defensive side of the ball, understand that, you know, his years are probably limited. They're hoping to re-sign him. Um, you know, they're not going to you know, re-sign him to a year contract or maybe a multiple-year contract. But, um, you know, his, 
his legacy is certainly one of those that you would love to see end with a uh, at least have a Super Bowl title on it. Yeah, his uh, teammates on the defensive side of the ball, kind of been a, a patchy year. You have Von Miller out uh, with suspension, and then he gets hurt. Um, some no-name guys. You have guys like Duke Giannaccio and Danny Trevathan and, and Terrence Knight, who arguably had the biggest play of, of the season last week against Tom Brady. What's your assessment as a career defensive player about the Broncos' defense against Seattle? Well, you know, the, the defensive football team here, especially in the last three or four weeks, has really played exceptionally well. And they have lost. You know, one of the big losses, we talk about Von Miller, and, and Von Miller is an incredibly talented football player and a, a great pass rusher. But, um, but one of the guys they lost during the course of the season, who was a huge difference maker for them, um, was Vickerson, Kevin Vickerson. And, you know, not a guy that's got a big game but a guy that has a certain amount of what we like to call in the league, dog in him. And that guy's got some dog in him. And, and yeah, you'll get frustrated because occasionally he'll get a 15-yard penalty, but he kind of sets it. And you've got to have, you know, you've got to have guys that set tones for you. And I think it was a real struggle for them to figure out, you know, who that next guy was going to be. And we've seen here in the last few weeks Terrence Knight really pick up his game, although I think he's been pretty good all season. Um, it's really come to the forefront here. Last week, he just absolutely dominated a line of scrimmage against the New England Patriots. You mentioned the fourth and two play where he beat Logan Makins for a sack. Um, an incredible defensive play. So pot roast, as they call him, has been awesome. And um, you mentioned that Danny Trevathan has been great. Uh, Duke Iannaccio has been awesome. Uh, there have been so many role players. Chris Harris had a phenomenal season, and it's uh, you know a shame that he tore his ACL, but just when he tears his ACL, Champ Bailey's healthy and can come in. So they've had that great chemistry from the standpoint of next man up all season long, and they've done a good job with that. On the defensive side of the ball, who's going to be, in your opinion, the biggest difference maker on Sunday? Well, for me, it's got to be, obviously, it's the, the linebacking core has got to do a great job, but it really is Terrence Knighton again. Um, this, Seattle, this Seattle Seahawks offensive line is tremendous, and they have been coached by um, actually my college teammate at the University of Idaho, Tom Cable. And Tommy is a great offensive line coach who got his start in the NFL with Alex Gibbs in Atlanta, being Alex Gibbs' assist, assistant. So he knows that zone blocking scheme probably as well as anybody. Oh, almost. Hold on. Check one, two. Here we go. Going with green. How about that? All right. So he knows that zone blocking scheme as well as anybody in the league. Now, the thing that makes Seattle a little bit different is, is they'll run a lot of the read option off of the zone look where the quarterback has the option either to hand it to the running back or to keep it around the edge. And that'll open up a lot of the cutback lanes for that zone scheme. So in my mind, I look at a guy like Terrence Knight, who's got to have a phenomenal game, um, disrupting the line of scrimmage, making plays like he did last week against the New England Patriots. If he can have that kind of impact on that running game, then that's going to close down all the, all the uh, 
play-action stuff that Seattle loves to run with Russell Wilson. And Russell Wilson, especially in the last five or six weeks, what teams have been doing to him is they've really been playing a press kind of coverage, beating up receivers off the ball, and trying to keep him in the pocket to make them beat him or make him beat them from the pocket because that's not where he's really good. That's where he's struggled. And the teams that have beaten them and the teams that have limited them have really done a good job with that. So if you can stop the running game and get that, get out, you know, get away from the play action where he has the option to get to the edge and have multiple receivers on a half field read, as we call it, um, if you can eliminate that stuff, the Denver Broncos will beat the Seattle Seahawks. That's what they have to do defensively. Uh, Percy Harvin, we'll stay on defense for a second. Percy Harvin back in. He's good to go for Seattle. Does it make a difference? He hasn't been there all season. So, I mean, obviously it makes a difference in that that guy is one of the most dynamic athletes on the face of the planet. And so it really gives them more of a threat offensively to stretch the field and to and to create opportunities for them as an offense. Um, but, again, it comes with a certain amount of rust and it comes with a certain amount of, you know, lack of, of uh, continuity as a group. So... Um, I look at it like it's a nice piece to the puzzle for them, but it's not, in my mind, a difference maker for the Seahawks. You know, I wanted to go all of today without talking about Richard Sherman, but I feel like we have to because he's a major player for Seattle. Right. Um, what's the matchup? Who, who's he going to be on for the Broncos? Is it Demarius Thomas? Is it Eric Decker? What's it like? going to be come Sunday for Richard Sherman against the Broncos. Well, I mean, I think you look at the Broncos, just their receiving core as a whole, and obviously they're as good as there is in the NFL, probably the best group in the NFL. I would imagine that Richard will be locked up on Demarius as much as they can, as much as they can do that during the course of uh, of the of the contest. Now they'll play a lot of what they call cover three. They're not a team that disguises a lot. They they are like we're really good. We believe in us. Legion of Boom. Right. Exactly. And um, and we're going to do what we do. So I don't think there's a lot of disguise in that. So you're going to see him try to lock down a receiver on half the on his third of the field. And and um, I think you're going to see a lot of that. They are they are outstanding. You know, it's interesting. When you look at, at great defenses, usually it's the front seven that sets the tone for the back end. In this defense, it's the back ends that sets the tone for the front seven. They are phenomenal. Um, with that said, though, it's just a really interesting matchup because the Broncos have so many different guys that you have to contend with, and so many guys that are great receivers that it's really hard just because you've got a great secondary doesn't mean you can match up everybody one-on-one because if you do that, um, you're going to get torched as a defense. So this is a great its a great matchup, the number one defense versus the number one offense. Um, it truly is. It truly is one of those matchups that you can just kind of uh, lick your chops to, to get an opportunity to watch. So in Peyton Manning's game plan, Peyton Manning out of gaze, John Fox's game plan, where does a guy like Wes Welker fit into it? Is he going to have prominent role, or are we just going? Are you going uh, on the outside and Peyton Manning's passing game? Well, I, I look at you know this offense in general. I think Wes Welker will have a prominent role, um, but the thing about this offense that's different than most offenses in the league. Most offenses have what we call call it run it type of plays. We huddle up. We call a play, and we run that play. Everything the Broncos do is predicated on what you do as a defense. So if you give us a certain look, 
we're going to take that look and we're going to we're going to call the best play against that look. Now, everybody thinks that it's just Peyton Manning that's calling plays and everybody's listening and then executing, and that's part of it. But when you go up as an offensive line, as a receiver, as a running back, you have to be clued into the same things that he's seeing. You've got the same indicators. And so as you walk up the line of scrimmage, you know, based upon the look, what Peyton Manning is going to call. Now, one of the change-ups last week that was a really great change-up for them from the first game in New England that they lost, where Sean Moreno had 40 carries, the New England Patriots basically said, we're going to give you run lanes. We're going to give you opportunities to run the football because we would rather you run it for yardage than have Peyton Manning eviscerate us in the passing game. So even though they gave them a lot of these, what we call two high safeties, two guys back at the safety position and a soft side where you could favorably run it, the Broncos had that full complement of wide receivers. So oftentimes, even though they think, hey, he's going to check to run here and we're going to get our safeties running up there, Peyton oftentimes said, your safety can't get over the top on my outside wide receiver and I'm going to throw it even though you're giving me a great run look. And that was a real changeup for the Broncos from the first game, which is a great thing. Um, and a great indicator of where they are as an offense right now. My only fear in this game, obviously, weather, cold doesn't concern me as an offensive player. Um, I'll go out and play in the cold. That doesn't matter. Snow doesn't really bother me so much as an offensive player. The thing that, that concerns me about this, when you run everything at line of scrimmage like the Broncos um, you know, tend to do, is, uh, is wind. Wind is the one thing offensively that you hate to play in that really affects the flight pattern of the ball, really affects your routes. Um, you know, when you think about the difference between college and, and pro football, in college, the quarterback is throwing to an open receiver. In pro football, the, call, the quarterback is throwing to a spot, and the receiver better get there. And, and that's the difference. That's why sometimes you see an interception, and you think, oh, that quarterback stinks. And it's not the quarterback at all. It's He's on the receiver. Right. It's completely on the receiver. So you had best understand and see the same thing. I remember an interception, oh, gosh, a couple of weeks ago. I think it was against Kansas City that Peyton threw where the look, the look from the receiver was Eric Decker and the cornerback. And the cornerback was playing a press bail technique. He bailed out, and Eric kept on the nine route, which is just a fly pattern straight. And Peyton Manning through the back shoulder fade. Well, the corner hadn't opened up completely up, but Peyton was expecting Eric Decker to change his route. He didn't. He kept running. The cornerback just stopped and picked off the ball. And everybody, you know, the general fandom looks at Peyton and goes, oh, that was a horrible pass. Right. You know, something's Under wrong. Road. Right. Something's wrong with his arm, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, 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 no. That was 100% on the receiver, and he was throwing it to a spot. And that's the difference. And when wind becomes a factor and you're throwing to spots, um, that, that can tend to be a problem at times. So it's going to be cold. You're talking probably high 20s yes. game time, 620-ish kickoff uh, in New Jersey. If it does precipitate, if it is windy, does that mean number 27 is all of a sudden in the spotlight more than he would have been had it been clear weather with no wind? <laughs> yeah, and, and, well, that's partially it. And, and maybe in the passing game a little bit more than normal. Um, you know, they're going to still 
they're going to still run their offense. So they're still going to, based on the look you give them, they're still going to play calls that are best suited to take advantage of whatever look you give them. But I think where that becomes more of a factor is when it is windy, you're going to see less shots down the football field, and you're going to see more dump-offs. And that's where Noshawn may become a bigger threat and a bigger weapon in the Super Bowl than he has been. He's been great at catching the ball out of the backfield with screens and, and some of those things. But you'll see, I think, more of that with the bubble screens on the outside, the tear screens, the screens out of the from the from the receiver and the little option routes from the running back. So I think that's where you'll see it. But um, you know, we were talking before we started here about just the emergence of No. Sean Moreno, and you want to talk about. Like I said, just because you play pro football doesn't make you a professional. There's a guy who's grown up, um, taking the, the, you know, tutelage of a Peyton Manning. Last year didn't dress for the first eight games, was inactive, and has become a consummate professional. I'm so proud of the way he's, um, grown as a football player. So that's, that, that's an exciting part. And he has certainly become a very big part of this offense, both in the passing game and the running game. Before we get to a final prediction, and then we'll get to your questions here. If you guys uh, want to have questions for Mark Schlereth, three-time Super Bowl champion here at Dick's Sporting Goods in Belmar. The Super Bowl halftime show. Bruno Mars and Red Hot Chili Peppers, maybe not the best we've ever had, right? Is that, uh, is that is that your jam? Is that your style? No, 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 man. I'm a I'm a '80s dude through and through. You know, a classic rock '80s dude through and through. So, you know, I love it when uh, when uh, U2 is up yeah. there or the Boss is up there. I mean, that to me is that to me is a great entertainment. Um, but the, you know, my kids love Bruno, or at least my girls love Bruno Mars, and uh, and so you know, I try to get a little bit younger, I suppose. Red Hot Chili Peppers is more in my uh, wheelhouse than than Bruno Mars would be, but. Um, you know, I mean, the NFL is always trying to make sure that uh, things don't get a ha- out of hand as well. So uh, they always do a pretty, or they try to do a pretty good job of policing what the uh, halftime show is going to look like. Before we get to the prediction, like we just said, TV career, how's it, uh, how's it coming? As, uh, are you still Rock Hoover? Uh, you know what? Uh, it took me uh, 72 years that the guiding light was on the air. It only took me two years to get that thing knocked off the air. So, no, I am, uh, <laughs> yeah, before they, they went belly up. But, um, no, I've got, yeah, I'm just so busy with ESPN, with the radio and the television stuff. Um, uh, and, uh and that's I've sold four other TV shows. I've got another one in production right now that I sold. Um, that you know we're just waiting to see if they decide to to make it happen. The network. So that one's secret. I can't really reveal what I've got going on. But I, I've I've done a bunch of other things that haven't necessarily come to fruition yet. So um, trying to see if we can make that thing work. But I'm just so doggone busy with with uh, you know being on ESPN and doing all those things that uh, it's hard. To you know, to do any of the other stuff. I was in the movie Red Dawn, the remake of Red Dawn. Um, I've had several other movie opportunities, but I just haven't been able to fit in my schedule. So, um, you know, those are those are just fun projects. Well, you're a busy man. You, uh, we both go on planes tomorrow to New York. Uh, what's your What's your Super Bowl week look like? Um, my Super Bowl week will be filled with television, radio. Uh, on a daily basis, uh, all five days, I'm doing NFL Live uh, three of the five days, Sports Center. Uh, I think three of the five days I'll be doing Sports Centers in the morning. I'll be 
hosting Sports Center, I think, with Hannah Storm on Tuesday for Media Day. So we'll do the Sports Centers from uh, from the Media Day, and then radio every night um, during the course of the week. And then events like this, I've got a bunch of events. Obviously, anytime the Broncos go to the Super Bowl, it opens uh, the door up for me to come and, and you know have an opportunity to do things like this. So I've got a bunch of these events during the course of the week as well. So it's going to be a crazy busy week, but um, it's going to be fun and. Obviously, as a Broncos fan, it's going to be a great time to be uh, out in New York. Well, as a Broncos fan and as an NFL analyst, your prediction for Super Bowl 48 next Sunday in New Jersey. Okay, now this is completely unbiased. Um, I, I really think that the Broncos are just a better football team. Um, and, you know, I, I, I always hear this old adage axiom that defense wins championships and um, my feeling of that is that was some, you know, that was something that was made up by some defensive coordinator a long time ago that just wanted to get a little credit uh, I don't buy into that um, I think this offense is, is great, I think the Denver Broncos defense will be able to contain the Seattle Seahawks, I don't think it's going to be as close as everybody else thinks it's going to be so I've got the Broncos winning this one and uh, I'm going to say, I'm going to give it uh, a score. I'll just go ahead and throw it out. 31-17. Uh, How about that? Broncos 31, Seahawks 17, uh, according to uh, Mark Schlereth. All right, I'm going to get up and come around. All and right. if you have some questions for Mark, uh, raise your hand. Uh, I saw you first. I'll get to you next, young lady. Um, sir, what's your name? Where are you from? Yeah, I'm Andy McKeon. I'm here from Lakewood. Mm -hmm. um, I really liked earlier in the season when they, they were doing the no-huddle offense and the real quick no-huddle. What's mm -hmm. the pros and cons of that? And the one thing I don't like is to prevent defense when we're ahead. I like the aggression, to be aggressive the whole mm -hmm. four quarters. What do you think of the strategy? Okay, well, first off, the, the no-huddle, you know, there's, there's two different types of no-huddle. There's what we call... You'll see them sometimes do this. That's that's a sign for red ball, red ball. And what that means is that's a hurry-up offense. So that's when time is, is fleeting and you need to get a lot of plays off. So that's when they scramble up the line of scrimmage. What the Broncos really tend to do is they run a no-huddle, but it's not a red ball no-huddle. It's a no-huddle that's kind of a, um, that's kind of a, a, a pace type of no-huddle. So the reason they do that is... When you get a defense in a matchup that you feel is favorable, so let's say you're in a personnel grouping, I'll say what we call 11 personnel. That would be one running back, one tight end, henceforth 11, and three wide receivers. And they're in a defense where you have a favorable matchup. So, for instance, you've got a linebacker that's one-on-one -on -one with their tight end, and you feel really good about that matchup. You will do that no huddle, um, and you will make sure if they try to get out of that, personnel and exchange personnel, that's when you'll get right up the line of scrimmage and you snap the ball. So that's why they run that no huddle. It's not necessarily a hurry up no huddle. It's kind of what we call a muddle huddle. You just kind of hang around and we'll call it from the line of scrimmage. But if we find a favorable matchup that we really love and that we think we can exploit you in, then we'll speed up the tempo of that so we make sure you can't get in and out and so you can't exchange any defensive players. Now as far as the prevent defense is concerned, and I'm with you, I'm a, I, I want to stay as aggressive as I can possibly stay. 
And I had a lot of these questions last weekend on Twitter at the end of that game when they were in that no huddle all, or that, that prevent defense. And and the Patriots ended up scoring a touchdown, and, and people were a little bit upset with that. At that point of the game, they were playing as much prevent. They were really using that prevent to eat up clock. So a lot of that was we've got a big enough lead. We had a, a three-possession a three lead. We've got a big enough lead in that we'll give up some points as long as it takes you, as long as it takes you time to get those points. Well, you don't want to be in that situation. You don't want to be like we were against Baltimore where you're ultra uber aggressive and the next thing you get beat over from the top for a 70-yard touchdown that takes some total of eight seconds. And so that's really what they were doing is they were going, okay, we'll let you score, but it's going to take you eight plays and four and a half minutes to score. And you won't be able to get enough possessions doing that to win this football game. And so that's when prevent is okay. You just got you, you to make sure that you're doing it correctly. And so that's really why they were in that. But I'm with you for the most part. I want to err on the side of aggressiveness if I, if I can. Good question. Young lady, what's your name? My name is Caitlin Muma, and I'm 16 years old. So uh, my question is, um, if you could give any uh, person, anybody on the current Bronco team some advice for the Super Bowl, what would you give them, like Champ Bailey? Uh, well, my only, my only advice to guys is, is, well, I've got a lot of advice, but um, my advice is really, you never know if you're ever going to get this opportunity again. I, mean, I played for the Washington Redskins and, and went to a Super Bowl my third year in the league. And that year we were 14-2, and two and we, I mean, we ran rough shot through the league. We lost the last game of the season. We didn't play anybody. And uh, we lost one other game during the course of the season. But for the most part, we beat everybody up. Uh, in the playoffs, we beat Atlanta. I think it was 24-7 to in the playoffs. And they... NFC Championship game, we played Detroit, we beat them like 52 to 17. And then, you know, we were killing the Buffalo Bills in the Super Bowl, and we ended up giving up a couple of courtesy touchdowns, but we beat them 37 24. And I thought at that point, we would have many more opportunities to play in Super Bowls as a member of the Washington Redskins and win championships. I just figured it was a done deal. We were such a good team. The next year we had a bunch of injuries. We ended up going 10-6, and six, getting in the playoffs, losing in the playoffs. The next year we had even more injuries, and I think we won four games. And that was it. The Washington Redskins haven't been back since. So you have to understand that these opportunities don't come around very often. Obviously, the Broncos haven't been in 15 seasons. So it's hard to get there, and chemistry is a big part of it. So take advantage because you don't ever know, even if you're a young player, if you'll ever get this opportunity again. Question from back here, Mark, is yes. earlier in the season, uh, Broncos receivers were getting jammed at the line of scrimmage. Mm -hmm. uh, this seemed to make them struggle a little bit. If Seattle does the same thing, how does Peyton adjust? Well, it really comes down to offensively what you do to adjust. Now, um, what you end up having to do is you have it. You have to get in uh, what we call stack formations. And so you'll see this happen all the time. You'll see if these water bottles, for instance, are receivers. And you'll see these guys getting a line like this off the line of scrimmage. So he's the first one on the line of scrimmage, but these two guys are off here. And now what happens is a defense, you can't line up and jam all these guys. 
So then you have to start playing some type of matchup zone. So we say first up, first in, first out. And based upon where you are as a defensive player, okay, if I'm this guy, I've got first, I've got first guy up. So if this guy runs up the field, this guy goes in, and this guy runs an out. So each guy has to go know where they're going. I got first in, I got first up, I got first out. And so those are kind of the route combinations that are usually run. So that's one way an offense adjusts to getting jammed line of scrimmage. The other way is if we're in a, you know, if we're in a, a two wide receiver set, um, we'll do a lot of this where we come across the formation in motion and we're off the ball so they can't they can't get up here and jam us and then we run and the other thing we run is what we heard a lot about last year or last week excuse me in the AFC championship game was pick routes Um, on the offensive side we like to call them rub routes right because we're not cheating we're rubbing you we're rubbing you no we're not picking you right intentionally but what that looks like is one guy will run from one side of the field the other guy will run from the other side of the field so let's say this is a tight end let's say this is julius thomas and this is wes welker and this will look like this these guys are being covered in man if you're getting a man press coverage these guys will be covered in man and what we do is this this guy runs that way this guy runs right and they pass right next to each other and so what ends up happening is the defensive back if this is the defensive back covering this inside receiver he has to bubble over the top of that guy so while he's bubbling over the top this guy becomes wide open you dump it off to him he runs up for eight yards if he breaks the tackle who knows what happens so those are the ways you essentially get away from press coverage like the Colts did to the Broncos, and the Broncos didn't really adjust, and it really hurt us as an offense, and those are some of the adjustments, and we've seen those. They did a lot of stack formation last week once uh, they found out that, that New England really wasn't, they were pressed, but they weren't really what we call hard press coverage. They were pressed, but they were pressed bail, so as soon as they get there, they'd bail out and try to run with you. Um, it was a little bit different, So, but that's how you adjust to that. It's a good question from back here. Very uh, good answer to Mark Schler. You, sir, had a question. What's your name? George. George, where are you from? Evergreen. Evergreen. What's your question? Uh, All the talk this week has been about our passing game, their secondary, but can you break down the matchup of our offensive line against their front seven? Yeah. um, You know, you look at their front seven, and here's the thing about that defense with Seattle. They're two, really essentially in my mind, they're two separate defenses. They're the defense that plays at home, and then they're the defense that plays on the road. And when you look at their front seven, they're not the biggest front seven. They've got one guy by the name of Red Bryant, and he's a solar eclipse, and that guy is ginormous. But the rest of them are fairly undersized defensive linemen. They rely on speed and quickness and crowd noise at home. It's one of the reasons they're so darn good at home. Oftentimes what you'll see is them get you as an offense behind the chains, we call being behind the chains that means you're in second down and long third down and long situations and they'll run down michael bennett over your guards he's 270 pounds uh which is in the nfl that's a little guy playing defense and you know he's so quick he's like grease lightning he really gives offensive linemen a lot of fits so from a matchup without crowd noise on a neutral side they've got an undersized defensive front seven so they can be pushed around a little bit. Um, they use that crowd noise to their advantage to play a leverage game because they get off the snap count. You know, I always tell people, here's what's tough about playing offense in crowd noise like they have in Seattle. First and foremost, think about this from an offensive lineman stand, uh, point of view. Um, 
as, let's say, a cornerback. As you get a little bit older, you lose a little bit of speed, you can move from corner to what? To safety, right? As a safety, you lose some speed, you lose some coverability, you can actually bulk up and move down to linebacker. Seen that happen. Darren Woodson, a guy I work with, Dallas Cowboys safety, he actually moved from linebacker in college to the safety position. I've seen guys go from linebacker, Keith Trailer. You remember Keith Trailer back in the day of the Denver Broncos? He went from linebacker to 330-pound defensive lineman. Okay? So you see that transition happen. I've seen defensive linemen move to the offensive side of the ball and become offensive linemen. The offensive lineman is the last stop on the rung. We are the last ladder of the rung. There is nowhere else to go. Once you become an offensive lineman, the next move is fan. And so that's the only place you can go. So you're the worst athlete on the team, essentially. Um, and all of a sudden, you take the one advantage that I have as an offensive lineman away from me, which is snap count. So now I'm faced a guy that's like Michael Bennett, 270 pounds, um, quicker than a hiccup, and, you know, strong, and, and all of a sudden I don't have snap count on him. It really makes my job extremely tough. And they have used that speed and athleticism to their advantage to win in crowd noise. They're a completely different group on the road. They're not nearly as good a defense on the road. So um, it's, their front seven, like I said, is, is fairly undersized. They're very athletic, but they're fairly undersized, and they use that crowd noise to their advantage. So I think we actually match up really well against against that group um, based on our size, our ability to run the ball. And if we play in front of the chains, meaning if we're in third down and short situations, second down and medium situations where we have the threat of both run and pass and they have to play that legitimately, uh, we're going to have a good offensive day against the Seahawks defense. Very good. Probably time for two or three more questions. Young lady, what's your name? Uh, my name's Penny. Hi, Penny. Hi. Where are you from? Lakewood. Lakewood. You're home. Yes. What's your question? Switching gears a little bit, I would love to know about your stinking good green chili and how that came about. Um, that It's a great question. Um, in my last year with the Denver Broncos was 2000. The season was 2000. And um, I had hurt my knee the first day of training camp and had to have surgery on it. And, um, and you, any of you who know my history know that, that you know I'm a human pinata when it comes to surgeries. So um, I was on the doctor's orders on crutches for about 10 days because um, I had some real articular cartilage issues and raw bone was exposed and, and there's just some real problems there so they wanted me to stay off my leg well um if any of you follow me on twitter you also know that i am a lawn nut i would rather be in my lawn for four or five hours and i would rather than go play golf any day of the week i love to do yard work i'm out there all the time i'm the guy that you live next to that you can't stand because my lawn is better than yours um i'm that guy so I couldn't take care of my lawn, so there was a, a guy who, in the neighborhood that I live in, um, took care of a lot of the different Broncos. We had a lot of guys that lived in that neighborhood, and he took care of their lawns. So he came by the house, introduced himself to my wife, and basically said, hey, I know your husband does his own stuff, but I know he can't right now, so I'm just going to take care of the lawn for you guys until he gets back on his feet. So he did that for me, and so a couple days later, I found him in the neighborhood to thank him. And he was like, hey, no issues. Um, he goes, I make the world's greatest green chili. I want to bring it to you. 
And I had no idea what green chili was. I grew up in Alaska, so I didn't even know. Um, but at that point, I was 300 pounds, and somebody wanted to bring me food. So I was like, I'm in. Um, and he brought it to the house, and I instantly fell in love with it. It was it just so good. And uh, it's, quite frankly, the world's perfect food. You can put it on anything. You can eat it like a soup. Uh, I mean, it's just phenomenal. And for nine years... He would, we became friends, and for nine years, every couple of months, he'd bring some over when he made it. And for nine years, I was like, dude, you ought to bottle this stuff and sell it. And so it was a nine year running joke until he came to me one day and said, hey, listen, I want to do this, but I need to borrow your name and your money. <laughs> and I said, I'm in because I believe in the product so much. So, um, I financed it, and five, almost six years ago, we started, and it's just been a, a complete grassroots from the ground up on a very limited budget. We have bootstrapped that thing. It's been a labor of love. As I always say, you'll buy it once because I asked you to. You'll continue to buy it because it's so darn good. Um, and now we're not only in all the Colorado stores here. We're in all the freezer section of your King Supers, your Safeway, your Whole Foods. We're in all the stadiums. Mile High, Coors Field, um, Pepsi Center. Um, we're in all the Costco's now in the deli section of the Costco's here in Colorado, the Costco's in New Mexico, the Costco's in Arizona. I'm going into the HEP Grocery in Houston uh, here in the next couple of weeks. Um, and, you know, by the end of in a couple of years, we'll probably be in, you know, 150, 200 Costco's. I mean, it, it has just been a it's just been a labor of love. And we have it's just me and my buddy. So it's a two man company. And we have busted our butts to make it what it is and it's it's a really exciting uh you know it's a really exciting time so we've been blessed uh, it's just been a it's been a great and and thank you for purchasing it because it's it is phenomenal so thank you it is good it is good sir uh and before we get we probably have time for two more questions uh everyone do not leave without something orange today here at dick sporting goods or any of the 13 locations more broncos gear you'll find than anywhere else uh in the city sir what is your name eric eric where are you from i'm a longtime bronco fan that just moved here from houston well how about that well welcome you've uh you've found your way home uh, just in time. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so what's your question for Mark Schlereth? Uh, well, with the uh, Pro Bowl being this weekend and uh, Peyton Manning and a lot of good players uh, having to miss that, I was just uh, wanting to get your opinion on whether they should move that back to after the Super, Super Bowl and whether they should, if you think they should change the format at all or... Yeah, I, uh, you know, Pro Bowl has gotten to the point where it's become kind of uh, obsolete. Um, I just, you know, the game is, is a glorified seven-on-seven. Seven. There's not really any contact. Guys don't want to play in it because they don't want to risk injury. Uh, it's different than it used to be. I mean, it used to be uh, the money that you used to make for playing in the Pro Bowl um, was actually, you know, worth worth going out there and sacrificing for. And it's just changed because guys make enough money now and to to not want to to not want to go out there and, and risk, you know, really playing hard. So um, I think it's run its course. I hate I hate it being the week between the Super Bowl and the Pro Bowl because or the Pro Bowl being b between, you know, the AFC and NFC championships and the Super Bowl because of those guys who did earn, you know, Julius Thomas, who's been hurt the last two years, finally gets on the field and is, has a great season and he doesn't get an opportunity to represent his team in the Pro Bowl. I, I just... I, I, that bothers me for him. Um, 
So anyhow, I, I, as far as format is concerned, I'd love to see them. Um, I'd love to see them kind of change the format. I mean, I just think the game is obsolete. And like I said, nobody wants to play in it. Um, but I would love to see a kind of freak show Olympics, you know. I mean, see guys, who's the fastest guy in the NFL? Who is, uh, you know, who's the strongest guy in the NFL? Uh, the obstacle course. I, I'd love to see them do some of that stuff and just cancel the game and have the best of the best, the, the, the most elite athletes on, you know, in my mind on the face of the planet go out there and compete in kind of athletic endeavors. Um, maybe... Yeah, who knows, but I just think it would be great. It would be great for each team to have three or four representatives that one guy's going to run, you know, whatever. They, they get to pick them, however you want to make it. But pick the teams and say congratulations, that's great, you're a pro bowler, and then do something completely different. That's kind of my thought. So last question here, and then everyone in line here will get a chance to have a picture and autograph with uh, Mark Schlereth, all right? Uh, the birthday boy, by the way. Sir, what's, uh, what's your name? Thomas. Uh, hello, Thomas from Denver. What's your question? Uh, actually, i got two questions. Uh, first of all... Sorry, I only get one. I get one. I'm just kidding. <laughs> first question is, uh, I'm, uh, who was the toughest competitor you went against during your playing career? And second of all, do you still keep in contact with any of your teammates? Uh, I'll answer the second first. Yeah, I still keep in contact with a lot of guys that I played with. Um, you know, offensive linemen are always tight, so I keep in contact with most of the offensive linemen that I play with, guys like Brian Habib, um, guys like uh, Gary Zimmerman, Dave Diaz Infante, um, the defensive, some defensive players like Alfred Williams. I, I keep in contact with a lot of guys that I played with in Washington as well. Uh, Jeff Bostic and Russ Grimm and uh, and then a lot of the guys like Daryl Green and Mark Monk and Charles Mann and uh, and quite a few of the Redskins as well that uh, you know we kind of all are uh, family if you will so um, and, and you know we raised our kids together so a lot of those guys that I, I do keep in contact with as far as the toughest players I mean there's a lot of Obviously, there's a lot of extremely tough players. Um, some of the guys I respected their games the most, um, just because of their ability. You know, the, just their their God-given innate ability, but also the way they work. Guys like John Randall, uh, Warren Sapp was always tough to play against. Cortez Kennedy was always a great player. Uh, probably a guy that I have more respect for than any other was Reggie White. Um, and he was just just a, a unbelievable football player, but a great man as well. Um, so he was he was great. Uh, lining up against uh, Lawrence Taylor was always a chore. Um, you know, it's one of those guys you would look at across the line of scrimmage and you're like, oh my gosh. Um, so you know, those guys are you know the guys that have that that ability to not only beat you with speed and quickness, but beat you with power. Um, those are the guys that are the toughest to play against. If you just have one, you know, I can counter speed and quickness or I can counter straight power. But when you have them both and you can use them both, um, those are the toughest guys to play against. And, and Reggie White was probably um, had the, the greatest mix of speed and power of maybe any defensive lineman uh, that we've ever seen to this point. So that would be my toughest guys to play against. 
Well, that'll do it. Uh, so next up is uh, autographs and pictures. Everyone who's lined up gets to come up to the table here. And uh, if you're lucky, he might let you hold his Super Bowl ring. How about that? Absolutely. But, uh, folks, thanks for coming out to Dick's Sporting Goods here in Belmar. Don't forget to leave with something orange today. The biggest selection of Broncos gear on the front range. It's Dick's Sporting Goods, all of their 13 locations. Ladies and gentlemen, big round of applause for Super Bowl champion and Bronco great. I don't know. Stinky. Yeah, just, he's only got one AK. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, so so we're gonna we're gonna do our best. I mean, Kyle's gonna be run ragged by by Saturday, but um, we're gonna do our best to get you a, a new podcast every day this week. We're gonna do one long one. It'll be our our episode 24. You guys can make Champ a guess. Champ Bailey. Oh man. Champ Bailey episode. This one's for Champ. And. Uh, I mean, stick with it. I've, I've just, just from my end, knowing what's coming out on Mile High Report this week, there is just content galore, and really talented writers at Mile High Report are putting together some. You know, they're they're it's their Super Bowl too. They're putting together their Super Bowl material, and um and Kyle's there. Kyle's gonna bring you stuff. Follow follow Mile High Report. I'm there for you guys. I'm there for the readers. You have an idea of what you would like to see covered? Please let me know. Hit me up on Twitter. Hit me up in the comments. Uh, if you've got a question for someone, I'll do my best to ask it. Assuming I like it and it's you know worth asking. Um, I'm absolutely there as a representative of the fans. That's my purpose. I want to provide the best coverage that I possibly can for them. We're going to have a lot of kind of a. I don't know if you call them mini episodes like this one, where we, you know we're just going to deliver some audio. We, we've got players talking about the Super Bowl and that needs to be heard. So we're going we're gonna to dish out some episodes this week more than just more. We're going we're gonna to dish out episodes as we get them and uh, talk Broncos all week long leading up to Super Bowl 48. And for you new Broncos fans um, welcome. Band- bandwagon. <laughs> Are we welcoming we're gonna, these people? We're going to go ahead and require some viewing which will be available all week on uh, NFL Network. Go ahead and watch Super Bowl 12, Super Bowl 21, Super Bowl 22, <laughs> Super Bowl 24, and then you go ahead and watch Super Bowl 32, 33 oh. to prepare okay. for Super Bowl 48. <laughs> I like those two. I could watch the first half of Super Bowl 21 also. I don't know about anything else. <laughs> yep. So make sure you require those that, or that's required viewing. We're going to have posts. Uh, I think Tim Lynch is um, chronicling every Super Bowl the Broncos have been in, and we have about a paragraph for the uh, Seattle Seahawks Super Bowl history. So. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, Seahawks fans. That was a good joke. Man. I liked it. So, all right, guys. Uh, have a great day. Come back often and early and um, follow at Mile High Report on Twitter. We're going to bring you guys maybe the stuff that the other guys can't say. Also follow at The Orange Page, Ian Henson, and our producer at Asian Orange. Asian Orange. Hi, Jan. This is my impression of Jan. Hi, y'all. There you go. Have a good night, everybody. <laughs> Have a good, great, great day, everybody. Jan's alive.